Hello, my name is Lucette Moran. I am an immigration attorney with the ECBA Volunteer Lawyers Project, and I'm here on behalf of VLP and the Say Yes Buffalo organization to speak with Samantha White. Um, so first, uh, could you start by just uh, telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name's Sam White. I'm an attorney. Um, I've been practicing since 2018. Um, I currently work over at the Western New York Law Center. I also have a small criminal practice and represent nonprofits, etc. So first, I want to talk to you about what you're currently working on. So what what can you tell us what projects you are most excited about at the Western New York Law? So I'm actually building the school discipline project from the ground up. We represent students that are facing long-term suspensions. We can help them by advocating for them during the hearings. We can help them by appealing a decision and potentially even expunging a suspension off of their record. Um, we're looking to get as many kids um, back in school as possible and uh, to get kids in chairs for educational instruction. So before you became an attorney, did you also work in other legal related jobs or did you do other things? Um, I was really mostly a social activist before I became an attorney. Um, you know, I followed the traditional path. I graduated from Brentwood High School. Uh, that's in Suffolk County on Long Island. Um, I went to University of Rochester, um, then UB Law. And I did that pretty much all back to back, but I graduated right around the time of the Great Recession of 2008. I'm thinking that some of the students may have just been born around then, but um, yeah, that's when I graduated from law school and um, there was a lot of um, social um, and economic um, unrest because of the bank failures and the foreclosure crisis. And I was just involved in, uh, you know, advocating and I was heavily involved in uh, a protest movement called the Occupy Movement here in Buffalo, as well as nationwide. Um, it was an amazing experience, but because of that, I didn't actually go straight into the practice of law. Um, after a few years of um, being a social activist, I did settle down and I did um, get a job actually doing collections for a while. Um, and then it was when my mom was passing from cancer that, you know, I made some promises that I, you know, that I fulfilled. You know, she said, you got to become a lawyer. You know, I'd, I'd passed my bar and everything. But it had been so long that, you know, I just I thought I'd have to take it all over again. And well, God's plan was different. And within eight months of making that promise to my mom, I was being sworn in as an attorney. And, you know, I'm over on the east side of Buffalo um, and I've been there for. Wow, since 2005, so heading towards 20 years. Um, over on the east side in the same house. And we've had tough times as individuals, as a community, we've had tough times. Um, and so when I got into this position as an attorney, I really took it to heart that I should do more than 
just, you know, make a check and, you know, move out of the neighborhood. Instead, you know, I've spent a lot of time advocating for the neighborhood and trying to build up the neighborhood and making sure that, you know, the concerns of my neighbors have a voice. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. And I'm very sorry for your loss. Thank you. In fact, um, I'm looking I, at my mom right now. I, I, have her, I have her picture right right next to my screen. Oh, that's lovely. So, um, but a lot of what you were talking about actually goes into what I wanted to ask you about next. Um, it sounds like you went to, well, like many attorneys, you went to school for a very long time. Um, did you know at the beginning of that journey that you were interested in going to law school or did you come to that through other ways? No, I knew since third grade, I wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, it wasn't necessarily the easiest path, even though I had my eyes set on the goal. Um, you know, we weren't a rich family. I'm not a multi-generational attorney. Um, you know, my father, he worked in a factory. Uh, my mom was a homemaker for the majority of my upbringing. But at one point after my parents divorced, she, um, you know, drove school bus. So we were not wealthy people. There was no silver spoon. And there was a lot of um, hard work, a lot of sweat, a lot of tears. Um, there were times when um, faced with adversity um, and financial hardship, you know, um, I, I struggled. I wasn't able to do it straight through. It didn't take me. So technically, once you graduate high school, it's supposed to be four years for undergraduate and three years for um, law school. It took me five years for undergraduate and five years for law school because finances, I had to take time off. I had to work. I mean, I was working more than I was supposed to working on campus, working overnights, um, you know, at Denny's, Bob Evans, pizzerias, whatever little jobs I could find. And I think the, the one thing that I would say to, um, to the students is that Life isn't about what's set up for you. It's about how you deal with challenge. There's gonna be adversities, so many adversities, and you're gonna feel weighed down at times and you might feel like you can't do it, but how you react and whether you choose to move forward or give up will determine the trajectory of your life. And so I encourage you, you know, faced with adversity, find a way to, to get through it. And I'll tell you, me personally, um, that comes from my faith community. Um, I'm, I'm Jewish, um, but the support of my faith community is what keeps me going. And knowing that um, when faced with adversity, you know, I can find solace in prayer and in that community. Um, it's just immensely powerful. And, you know, I would encourage you to be a part of your community, use the connections that you make, um, you know, during uh, the time that, that you're at services or participating in community activities to advance yourself. Because so many connections happen through the church, happen through the synagogue, happen through the mosque. Um, it's, it's important. 
I'm so glad you mentioned that um, because uh, especially for our listeners who may also be the first or one of the first people in their family to consider uh, going to law school or maybe a similar professional pursuit, um, did you find in those connections that you relied on mentors? And if so, how did you go about finding those mentors? So I would say that, no, I didn't rely on mentors. And that was part of my mistake. That's why it took me into my mid thirties to make it to being a practicing attorney, because I thought I could do it myself. I thought that I was smart enough. I worked hard enough and I could just do it on my own, but life's not like that. So much of life is based on relationship. So much of life, especially in, um, in the professional world is based on relationship. It's not just grades on a paper. It's not just, you know, it's not just the degree that's on the wall. You know, it's so much dependent on relationships. And because I didn't realize and recognize and develop those soon enough, it, it helped to stall my progress. Um, so uh, now that you're well into your career, have you mm-hmm. found opportunities either to f- to find some mentors now or or maybe become a mentor to other people? So once I began practicing, I did develop that mentor community. And I'm telling you, um, through the Minority Bar Association of Western New York, I connected with so many legal professionals that immediately took an interest and helped me get to where I needed to go, you know, and it, it was amazing. Um, the, the networking and the assistance that I received, um, that organization has helped me so much that I dedicated, um, you know, it, it was, it was a way of giving back. I dedicated myself to the organization and, you know, I served on the board and now I'm currently president of the Minority Bar Association. Um, I hope that it's an entity that exists for many, many years to come so that all of these young lawyers that are looking for um, assistance in the future have this organization to reach out to. That's so great. And um, and remind us, uh, is there a way to get involved with uh, these, um, the, these various bar associations while you're in law school? In law school, yeah. Yep, we we regularly partner with the UB Black Law Student Association, the UB Asian American Law Association, the um, Latin American Law Student Association. Um, it's we have student memberships for law students. It does require being in law school to uh, affiliate, but um, I know Say Yes has programming that um, puts students, I believe at the high school level or college level into law firms during summers. Um, I would just say, if you're interested in um, taking that first step into the legal field, a great place to start as a high schooler is through Say Yes. That's great. Um, So uh, I want to go back to uh, some of the com- community commitments that I saw on your resume. Um, 
and you mentioned before that you that you've you've been in the same neighborhood for I think 20 years you said almost um, yeah yeah and um uh as someone who's still early on in their career I haven't quite found that level of stability yet um so I just wanted to see if you could expand a little bit about how you've been able uh, not been able but <laughs> how does one uh go about finding that balance um to be able to stay connected to their community um especially in a field where it's known for, um, you know, being very busy all the time. Yeah, that's, (laughs) it's accepting that you're going to be busy, um, but valuing the importance of your neighbors, your neighborhood, and your community. Um, I could say that I'm too busy and not do it. But if I don't do it, I don't think that there's going to be anybody else to fill that gap. Um, so like last weekend, it, it means that there is, um, there's a price that my family pays. Uh, there's a price that I pay. We sometimes lose time together, but I feel like the work that I'm doing um, is a value to so many people. It's worth it's worth that sacrifice. And, you know, I have a whole lifetime ahead of me to, um, you know, to catch up. Um, but like, it means that I don't have weekends to myself. Last weekend, um, I was with none like you distributing Easter baskets, um, at eight different locations around, um, around the city of Buffalo Four on the East side, um, South Buffalo, and then three on the west side, or actually two on the west side, one in Riverside. Um, this weekend, we'll be doing another Easter giveaway over at the CAO Raffi Green Center. Um, you know, it's not so easy, um, you know, organizing and getting all the resources together and bagging things up. But, you know, knowing that you're providing somebody who doesn't have access um, to the resources they need to, you know, be able to enjoy their holiday, to be able to um, meaningfully enjoy their holiday so that they don't have to worry about, um, gosh, I wish I had an Easter basket, you know? I mean, it, it's, it's not, um, it's important, it's important. Um, The other things that we've done, um, my synagogue, we bagged up uh, about 300 um, feminine hygiene bags uh, that we're donating to None Like You, and we'll be distributing those um, the last weekend of April um, at eight different locations so that, you know, we can give um, children something to be able to give to their mothers if, you know, you know. It's important. It's important to recognize the the contributions that moms make to their family. And sometimes, if if you're poor, um, not being able to do something for your mom is it hurts. And so we don't want the kids to experience that. So it's really important that you know we put the effort in and make sure that they have a little something to give to their mom that she'll love. You know, mm. 
No. And, and of course, and I just uh, also wanted to make sure we talked about just a couple of these in particular. Um, I noticed you're also part of the East side garden walk. Um, and <laughs> so, so um, I've been part of the East side garden walk since like 2019. I, I chair the event. Um, we've even spun off a free children's festival. Um, we did it last year on my street box Avenue. Um, but this year we've actually partnered with, uh, Olmstead parks and it's going to be an MLK park. And so it's going to be, uh, free admission, free food. We're going to get together resources like clothing. We're going to reach out to, um, uh, different food resources to, uh, allow people if they need groceries to be able to get groceries. We're going to have educational activities. Um, surrounding um, healthy eating and um, gardening. And it's just going to be a wonderful event. Bounce houses, cotton candy, you can't beat it. Um, also, a friend of mine who has a farm is going to be donating pumpkins. So there'll be pumpkin carving, all of this for free in Martin Luther King Park. Um, I know, like going out to um, a well known pumpkin farm event costs a lot of money. This is something that you can do whether you have, you know, one child or six and just enjoy it. Just enjoy the time as a family in a safe venue. We're going to be working with Buffalo Police Department to secure the, um, to secure the venue, the neighborhood engagement team, as well as the uh, peacemakers. So we have a lot of community partners that we're working with. Um, and the garden walk itself, is a wonderful event that happens every July. We, um, we had 75 gardens last year. We started with about 25. Uh, we grew a little bit, then the pandemic hit. Right now we've been um, around 75. We're hoping to get up to 100 this year and grow by 25%. But um, it's a way to encourage people to beautify their, their neighborhoods, um, to beautify their home. But more importantly, I don't care if you have a planter box or a full-fledged garden. It's about bringing people to the community and saying, this is my flower box and I love it because, and it makes me feel like fill in that blank. You know, it feels, it feels good to just bring the community together. People um, from outside the community, from inside the community, to see all of the positive things that are happening on the east side, you know? Um, and it's, it's inspired me, it's inspired my neighbors and it's growing connections. Um, we advocated for um, a dignified site over at the Freedom Wall. When we first saw the Freedom Wall um, in, for our first year in 2018, the grass was, you know, two foot tall. Um, and we began advocating, you know, this is a site where you have a predominant um, African-American local heroes and national heroes depicted. How are you going to have two foot tall grass in front of it? That's not respectful, right? So four years, five years later, we actually just um, unveiled and lit it up. The first time we added uh, nighttime lighting to it, there's a whole new streetscape so that uh, the grass will never um, grow tall again. Um, it even includes the Pan-African flag colors as a border. It's absolutely amazing. 
Um, and, um, you know, it took four years of advocacy, but we did that through this network of, of community-minded gardeners, you know? And that just sounds really great. I've never been a part of a gardening uh, event like the garden walks that I have, that I've fortunately been able to, to, to look at in, in Buffalo. They're all beautiful. Um, but it just sounds like a really great community to be a part of. Um, so I also just wanted to bring us back a little bit. Um, I talked to you about what you're currently working on in, mm -hmm. in your current job. Um, uh, I noticed though, that you, uh, also, uh, that you've had a variety of different types of legal experiences. And I'm yeah. sure there are probably people listening who, of uh, the students listening, I mean, who maybe are, well, maybe I kind of am interested in law, but there are what, hundreds of types of law? How do I choose one? Um, so I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how, that and maybe what drew you to these, to the types of law that you worked in. So I want to say that when I graduated, because I had this big gap between my graduation and my practice, um, I didn't necessarily have the, the type of resume that I could go land a big firm job. So I hustled. I did, I did work for friends, family, neighbors. Um, I did stuff for um, companies like Larimer Law, um, where I did document review for class action lawsuits. Um, it wasn't necessarily the most um, satisfying work, but it was a start because you have, everybody has to have a start. And your first job may not be the job you want, but you need a job. Can I get an amen? Right. <laughs> you need a job. You got to start somewhere. Okay. Um, and even if it's not the dream job, you take what you can, you learn from that and you move forward. So then my next job, which I acquired through the support of my network through a minority bar association. It was actually um, during the minority bar association event at UB law. I heard about a public defender career fair. It was the first time they were doing this over at UB law and I was a UB law graduate. So during that event, I was told about this and I was like, well, I don't, I, I don't really know about being a public defender. It's kind of scary to have somebody's you know, future in your hands, you know, I mean, that's a lot of responsibility. I, I kind of thought that I wanted to do um, civil law because, you know, at least nobody goes to jail, you know, that's, that's scary. Um, I went to the career fair um, and I got a, I got a job for Legal Aid Bureau of Buffalo. Um, they put me through intense training. It was, I want to say, five months of training and then another three to six months of shadowing as I was taking on my first batches of cases. And it was intense. I mean, the first time I went through intake inside of four weeks, I got more than 300 cases. And it was a lot of responsibility. And, you know, this right here, answering the calls because Every single person who had a case, it was the most important thing in their life that was going on. And for the majority of them, it was a new experience that they'd never dealt with before. And they needed that connection to their attorney. And they needed to know that 
you know, this is how the process works. And they needed to know that, you know, you are paying attention to the cases, you know, and there were nights where I was in the office till like 11, 12, one o'clock in the morning. And it's, it's the type of thing where you have to, you have to have that in you to, um, to really want to take care of these people, you know, these clients, because they are just that they're real people. I mean, I've represented, who represented my neighbors, you know, and you want to be able to take care of them. And for the most part, I got a lot of good results. You know, am I going to say that everybody didn't go to jail? No, I can't say that. I can't say that. Um, some people do go to jail. Um, for the most part, the ones that do have prepared for it. And um, they did so through a plea where we were actually able to reduce the amount of time that they were going to spend in jail significantly. So that's the one bright side to it. You know, if I'm in a position to help reduce the amount of time that, um, you know, somebody was going to spend in jail, then, you know, yeah. Um, so you had asked, because I kind of got stuck on a tangent. You had asked, how do you know, um, how do you know which area is right for you? Mm -hmm, I think yeah. it's trial and error. I think mm -hmm. it's trial and error. And I love criminal law, even though I no longer practice criminal law as a public defender, I still practice it privately. Um, and I love it. I'm good at it. Um, right now I'm doing student representation. and. Really, the reason that I got into this is because of the school to prison pipeline, right? What I saw was the, um, and this is from doing, being involved in community advocacy and bail reform and all of that stuff. Um, you see that more than 65% of the people who are currently in jail don't have a GED. Well, the way to not graduate high school, one of the, the quickest ways not to graduate high school is to have multiple suspensions. It astronomically increases the likelihood that you'll end up dropping out and become involved in the um, criminal justice system. So I said that I wanted to be part of the advocacy, um, especially when um, the New York Civil Liberties Union um, was training up attorneys. Uh, Legal Aid had sent a whole bunch of us um, out to assist the parents. And um, that was when I first took on the training. And then uh, when this position opened at the Western New York Law Center, I said, I'm in, I'm in, you know, because I, I love, um, I love helping people when they really need it, you know. And um, the one thing that I would say to students that are facing a suspension or that are potentially facing a suspension, right? So say um, maybe something happened and you've been pulled out of your classroom. I would say, ask to have your parent with you during questioning by the principal. I would say, you do not have to answer any questions that the principal or administrators ask you. And I would say, you um, should not sign any papers and then give me a call 
Don't talk to anybody except your parents in the privacy of your own home. Don't talk to your friends. Don't talk to the other teachers. And then give us a call at the Western New York Law Center and we'll try and help. That's a really great resource. I'm glad we were able to talk more about that. Um, so uh, some of the kind of another thing I we wanted to ask you about today um, is uh, more about um, is more uh, for the student listeners again for uh, if they are not sure if they're interested in the law maybe they're just maybe they've never thought about it before they're just listening today because um, maybe they were you know kind of on the fence um, is there if you could think of one reason why someone should should consider uh, pursuing law, whether as an attorney or maybe as one of the other legal professionals that um, that you work with, um, what would that what would that reason be? Well, I'll tell you what it wouldn't be. It's not money. You are not going to come out of law school and make six figures unless you're graduating from a Harvard. Um, you know, it's not an automatic ticket to be wealthy. Um, mostly attorneys, even on the corporate side, they're serving wealthy people, not necessarily being the wealthy people. Um, so if money is the motivation to go into law, it's probably not the right one. Um, I would say if you want to help other people, if you like to, um, if you like to stand up for the little guy, this might be the field for you, but just know you're not going to be rich. Like, like I said, I've been living in a house on the East side for 20 years, just about. Um, that's, that's the reason that I can afford to do this type of public interest work because I don't have the McMansion. I don't have a new car, you know, and I'm okay with that because I see the value in, in what I'm doing. And um, I consider it a blessing to be in the position to help. Um, well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Before we wrap up our conversation, I wanted to ask if there's uh, anything else that you think that um, young students should know about, uh, about either being an attorney or going to law school. So I would say, um, if I could be more specific, I, I meant to also add um, something that maybe you didn't know that you wished you had known <laughs> before you went to law school or became an attorney. Um, I thought that I was going to go to law school and then become rich. <laughs> so <laughs> I already answered that question, but um, I did just want to throw back to um how much I respect the law students. In my role as uh, president for the Minority Bar Association, we partner with um, multiple um, POC, SOC organizations um, of students. And um, I really admire this younger generation in how they assert themselves to authority but in a way that is just professional. Um, when there is that wrong, um, whether it is intended or unintended, 
the way that they advocate for themselves. It was something that we didn't necessarily, we did it, but we didn't do it as well as they're doing it now. Um, So I really just respect this younger generation of law students. And I can only uh, imagine what this generation of viewers will do as they step into their power. And I encourage you guys all to do so. Well, thank you. Um, uh, I also uh, realized that you, we may have missed the number. You said uh, the Western New York Law Center number, uh, phone number. Ah, Perhaps maybe yep. you could share that. Yep. My direct line is 716-828-8441, 716-828-8441. If you're facing a long-term suspension, if you need to appeal a suspension, give us a call. We can help. We can help. Thank you. And the last thing that uh, I saw in your community engagements um, that I meant to ask you about earlier was um, the criminal justice reform task force. Oh yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Could you tell us more about what, what that, what, what that task force does and task force does and what you've been doing with them? So I was a founding uh, chair for the um, Minority Bar Association of Western New York's Criminal Justice Reform Task Force. Um, I was co-chaired by um, Miles Gresham, as well as uh, Mr. John Elmore. Um, You might see him on some of the billboards around town. Um, The three of us put together a group that um, came up with some amazing recommendations for how we could change um, the laws surrounding criminal justice. And we were able to advocate to uh, pass um, Cariel's law here in Buffalo. Um, we co- I actually co-authored with uh, Miles Gresham the adaptation of the right to know law um, for the city of Buffalo. We actually, there's actually three versions of the right to know law currently in New York state. And Buffalo has the the strongest version of it. Um, We are trying to work on a statewide level to pass the right to know law. We actually um, amended the charter for the city of Buffalo in passing this law, creating a um, affirmative right an affirmative obligation for the police to advise people prior to searching their car or home or person that they did not have to consent. And so, you know, having these, it it would basically be um, similar to Miranda rights um, where you're told you don't have to answer questions prior to answering them, right? especially if the, if the search is based on consent, where they have no other basis, there's no crime going on, there's no evidence of a crime. It's you saying, yes, you can search my car. Well, if you tell me I don't have to consent to that before you know, asking me for that permission, um, it may change the answer and it may prevent people from being engaged in the criminal justice system entirely. Um, And that was just one of the items inside of the right to know law. It also responded um, to 
the Buffalo police removing their names off of their outermost garments. And um, it actually now requires and codifies the duty of officers to display their names. Because one, one thing in terms of community policing is, how are you gonna be my community police officer if I don't know your name? How are we gonna build a relationship if I don't know who you are? And if you don't have a name displayed and you have that anonymity, does that make it easier for you to do the wrong thing? And so these were things that were codified into our city's charter. Um, we also put forth a lot of other um, recommendations, um, including uh, requiring police officers to live inside of the city of Buffalo, um, as well as um, the recommendation that officers should get a pay boost if they live in the district that they police. So after a certain period of time, we had recommended at least 18 months that they receive some sort of pay increase because that's how you make community policing. And that's how you really have community police officers when they live next door, when they live around the corner. And that creates you know, connections and it enables um, both the public as well as the officers to see the humanity of the other side. Well, thank you so much. It has been really great talking to you today. I think we've learned a lot, um, not just about the legal profession, but also about Buffalo and the Buffalo area. So on um, behalf of Volunteer Lawyers Project and Say Us Buffalo, thank you, Samantha White, uh, and uh, have a great rest of your weekend. Thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. And remember, kids, it doesn't matter what adversity comes. It's how you react to it. It's it's the response. If you give up, it's over. You got to keep going. Find your support in your community, in your family. There are people out there who care. So find the support and good luck. <laughs>